What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, you know what? It's a new month. Is it? Yeah, it is. And I'm thinking to myself that we should probably have something like a month called Support Our Supporters. Support Our Supporters? Support Our Supporters. We've got some people who support our show. Yeah. And I want to show them some love. Okay. Yeah. So we've got someone who is regularly supporting our show, who's the industry buffet himself, Jason mm-hmm. Furman mm-hmm. from Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick. Yeah. I know you're a fan of Jason's equipment. You know what? Sometimes I get these ideas in my head. Mm-hmm. Let's go I'm with like, it. Jason, with it. I've got this idea for a tug and I want it to be this big and this round and made of leather. Yep. You got one? He goes, no, that doesn't exist, you idiot, but I can get it made. I go, do it, sir. He's pretty good like that, the old buffet, isn't he? Yeah. We should get Teespring. The buffet. <laughs> Teespring merch made up. <laughs> Support the buff head. Support the buff. Yeah. But we've got people in other parts of the world that are Yeah, you know who's show? not a buff head? Tell me. Mac Lapointe. Mac Lapointe is French for Mark. For not a buff head. Yeah, for not a buff head. And he is from? Canine Dynamics. Canine Dynamics. In Canada. Yep. Please don't slow this one down. <laughs> <laughs> so if I were in North America, that's where I'd be getting my, yeah. my working dog equipment from. He's got a great array of gear as well. It does. Yeah. Yep. And he's a very generous guy. Yeah. Mm. You know who else is a supporter of the show? That would have to be Kindred Canine. Mm. Mel Benware. Our good friend Mel Benware. She has got to be one of the best travel to your home, train the dog in your home dog trainers. Absolutely. In the area that she's in, which Richmond, is- <laughs> Virginia. Or Ashland, Virginia. She comes from Ashland, Virginia, but she services all the area around there. She's been a great support for the show and also a great support for the International Association of Canine Professionals. That's right. We are proud members of as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're in Australia and you need dog equipment, Mm -hmm. Jason Furman. Einswick Dog dog Equip. Einswick Dog Equip. Einswick. If you're in North America, you need working dog equipment, Mark LaPointe. (laughs) (laughs) Canine Dynamics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and if you're in Ashland, Virginia, yep. or Richmond, Virginia. Yep. In that general area. Yep. And you need pet dog training. Melanie Benway. Melanie Benway. Kindred canine. Kindred canine. Yep. That's it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. We have had a running string of guests on the show lately. It's just it's very us. unusual to have an empty studio. It is. Or somebody that's not on Skype or Zoom. Yeah. Mm. And I'm sitting on the other side of the table for you. And that's that we haven't I know. We're ages. looking at each other. We're not looking at the monitor. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. But, How are you, uh, sir? I'm good. How about yourself? Quite well. Yeah. Yeah. What's news? What's been happening? Uh, nothing in that exciting, to be if I'm honest. Well, you are getting very excited. You're very excited about your dancing with dogs. <laughs> thing that we've just been talking about for yeah. half an hour before we actually switched the microphone. Yeah. On. So I put a post in the Facebook group and 
maybe some people saw it. Oh, a lot of people saw it. Mm. There's this show on Netflix, another plug for Netflix, called We Are The Champions. We should get a sponsorship by I Netflix. Know. I know. You should be sponsoring our show, honestly, with the amount of fucking directions. We've driven at least given. three people to you, Netflix. Yeah, we made My Octopus Teacher famous. Yeah, <laughs> at least three people watched it. So there's this show, We Are The Champions, and it's about ridiculous championships. Do you know um, what put me off that when I first saw that? What? The cheese wheel going down Man, that is That's the best episode. That's the first episode. Really? I looked at it and thought, oh, that just looks ridiculous. It is ridiculous. That's yeah. the point. And it's about this girl who's trying to win the race for the third time, and she gets coaching from some guy who's won it over 20 times. Like how to tumble down the hill and land yeah, on the well, neck. I mean, it is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and in the previous year, she broke a collarbone in a way that can't be repaired. And she's prepared. And she's back again. Yeah, she's prepared to go back to do it. And and really, the truth be told, what it comes down to is having the balls, like to just take the Oh, absolutely. Because, like that is a ballsy thing to do. Yeah, she's yeah. the only girl in it. So that there's a girls category and then yep. a, a men's. Men's. Yeah. I was thinking because I said girls, do I have to say boys? Anyway. There's a male and female category. and How dare you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's only enough people to fill one race in, mm. the, in the female category, but there's yep. enough to fill three in the, in the male. Yep. And the guy who wins it every year, he just goes all three times and wins it all three times, right? And Damn. so you don't actually have to catch the wheel of cheese. You just have to make it. it. The cheese rolling is sort of the traditional part. It's just yep. a race down this insane hill. And they sort of explain, like, it's really just about having the balls to take the hits because most people sort of bum shuffle down. It's all funsies, right? Yeah. But if you just take off running, it is inevitable. You are going to hit the deck. And then it's about falling in a way where you can take a few steps between falls and speed yourself up more. Holy shit. Yeah. Mate. And the best bit is they got this, like, rugby team who stand at the ball. Because it's like- But do know, people get- Mate, people get horrifically injured. Oh, that's my question. At horrific. And You'd have to, right? Like, mate, you can't be a human being and take that decline with- yeah. That sort of speed and not take some serious hits. So they have it. It's on this. The footage is amazing. It's all filmed in, you know, like super slow-mo. It's probably Mm. 120 frame per second kind of stuff showing people just (laughs) you got to watch it, right? It's worth it. But you know what? Just before we go further on that, like I actually have to tell people not to send me those videos of people like hitting their groin and stuff like that because I get the sympathetic nervous (laughs) system where I can feel it like when I'm watching yeah. people on a on a skateboard you know on a rail and all of a sudden they go bang and hit themselves between the legs like yeah. I actually feel that pain yeah yeah and, you know and I I say to people stop sending me that shit like I can feel it yeah so <laughs> anyway the fourth or fifth episode or something like that is about dog dancing yeah and look I've seen some dog dancing I'm aware of it right mm. but I've never seen anybody at the top end yeah and the the episode is about the Russian team trying to win the world championship again it's that uh, Polina Alina is the like head coach and competitor in the Russian team and it's like her life's work yeah and honestly I fell for the magic I was convinced it looks like you know I know a bit about dog training right and I know how to string behaviors together and I understand all that and I've watched dog dancing before and I see it I just go oh yeah I see what's happening here like Mm. I get it and and more often than not they're you know sort of border collies or kelpies that I can see how you would teach that behavior I see what's going on yeah and especially the high energy stuff where the dogs are bouncing off people and stuff I'm like that dog loves that like I can see it and and it's not that I'm unimpressed by it it's 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 impressive but I understand what I'm seeing right when I was watching her and I've since obviously found her online and watched a bunch more videos and, and other people now, people have sent me who are of equal caliber. 
it really looks like the dogs are dancing, mm. right? And now I know they're not. Uh, I know that they're stringing behaviors together, but I'm fascinated by the rates of reinforcement and the cueing and the real technical aspects. And and what I haven't found, uh, and I've only sort of looked superficially because I want to I want to find out for real from one of the people rather than researching it myself, is like a real technical conversation about that. Like mm. I want to have not just like wow, it's amazing, like. I want to get someone on the show and be like, hey, we have an educated audience or we fly over the heads of people. Either one is fine. Yep. Uh, let's get into the weeds about how do you teach these very complex um, undog-like behaviors? You know, are you luring them, shaping them? Like what's the process of teaching them, mm. then cueing them, then the rates of reinforcement, and how often do you put the dog through the entire dance? The entire, how often does the dog see their full routine? Because, you know, like they're in competition, they mm. don't carry reinforcers on them. So like how do they, you know, achieve all of that? Because- you know, I know about going into competition. I know all these sorts of things and I coach people through it, right? Yeah. And there's a process for entering an obedience field. We have a whole a system for that. And it seems to me like that has to apply. Like that template has to be able to be picked up and put over the dog dancing stuff. But mm. it just was but fascinating. how do you do it? Yeah, it was fascinating to me. And especially with her, since some of the stuff I've been watching online, of it, you have to go check her out. Paulina, Alina, everybody check it out. The dog really looks like it's dancing. And it's unedited. Like, obviously, yeah, I haven't so seen this, but I'm going to watch it by well, the time this airs. The problem is in the show, it's very edited, right? Yeah. But so I went and found just on her own Facebook, there's mm. videos of just competition footage, right? It's amazing. And when you slow it down and when you, for a normal person that would be watching it, you go, wow, that's that's amazing, right? Like the dog's dancing. But for a dog trainer and someone that's really, you know, I know what I'm looking at, mm. it's even more fascinating because- the movements are so unnatural for a dog, but that she makes them look natural, the mm -hmm. way that the dog has been coached to do them. And and she has a Mally that she does it with. And the I think that the thing I'm most fascinated by about that is regulating the drive of the dog. Yeah. So that the dog's willing to do it and is willing to go through and do this whole long, long string of behaviors, but also doesn't lose themselves. Like- so some of the behaviors that you see them do, mm. especially in some of her dances, like I was just saying, I very much know how I could teach Remy to do that. Like, yep. no problem. I, I could teach that. But, but not what get it I, to look the same. No, not mm. to do it in the same. Like, he would be, you know, like, I did it and I'm demanding reinforcement. And you would be able to tell with my skill set, the only way I could train that is that is a dog doing monkey drills, mm. right? But it looks like- her dogs are dancing. Yeah. And, and I get that they're just, they, it is a dog doing monkey drills. It's a mm. dog that's been taught to do things for reinforcement, right? But, but it, those seamless, long-bonded chains that people can do. Amazing. Like in any sport that I see that where I can see the dog, you know, over such a period of duration that the dog is still in drive and it's not losing the integrity of the drive throughout, like it's maintaining the integrity right through. You know, you don't see any weakness or collapse in the chain midway. Then I'm looking at it myself in anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's a dog sport or something like that dancing process. And I look to, I confess, I haven't seen this video yet. I'm very intrigued now to have a look at it. But anybody that can do that, like maintain that midway integrity to get from start, middle to finish and have the dog still maintain its momentum and drive all the way through. There's something magical about that for sure. I think one of the things that kind of blew my mind was the position of her dog's mouth is even mm. matches kind of the dance. So there's parts where they would be doing like a tango style dance and the dog's mouth is closed, tongue in. Yep. And then there's more 
high arousal parts and the dog is now able to pant. Like he takes those opportunities to let his tongue hang out while he's doing rolls on the floor and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But so it really closely mimics what you would expect to see from a person mm. who's doing those things. Like in the slower, more precise movements of the dance, he's got his mouth shut and is like pulling the facial expression that mm. you would think aligns with that. And I think that's the real difference between – the people who are just kind of like, yeah, I do dance with dogs and I muck around with it versus I guess that's why she's a world champion, right? Is that those minute details that the everything in the dog's body is telling me that. It's not like the dog goes, ah, oh, yeah, like I get, you know, like you teach a dog to heal, right? Mm. Oh, yeah, like I've got contact points. Like I'm, I'm meant to be looking at this. I'm meant to be, you know, whether – you know, depending on the sport and how you're getting judged, but like maybe my right shoulder is meant to touch your left knee lightly or be an inch from it or whatever. There's these like, you know, there's three or four uh, criteria of the behavior that makes up healing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really all there is, is only those three or four things. But as I'm watching these really complex moves in the dancing, I'm like, no, every part of that dog's body is in a specific place mm -hmm. and it's moving, right? So it's, it is, it's just healing. In fact, there's two categories, right? So there's like freestyle and there's um, healing. Yep. And so it is, it's just healing, but in really precise manner and and yeah i was fascinated by it don't 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 be surprised if i become a dancing with dogs guy <laughs> <laughs> i've got a little springer who, yeah. who needs a needs a new job yep um i can I, I, the way you've been dressing like i could see you in a little lycra yeah, outfit why not and, yeah why not yeah i'd have to hit the gym a bit but <laughs> i don the lycra lycra I remember years ago, and this is many, many years ago now, I'm thinking probably 15 years ago or something, I remember watching a video. I can't remember the lady's last name, but her name is Carolyn and her dog's name was Wookie. And she was at Crufts doing dancing to the one uh -huh. that I want, Grease. And I loved that video when I saw that back then. Like I hadn't really been exposed to any dancing with dogs. That was my first exposure to dancing with dogs. But this sounds like it's on a neck level sort of. I was amazed. Yeah. Like honestly, it was blowing my mind. Mm. Isn't that nice though? Mate, like, it's exciting to isn't find that nice something. To, yeah, I think that's awesome. Like your intrigue has fueled my intrigue now yeah. because I see some things that I think, oh, that's great. You know, like I watch a lot of working dog stuff and because I've been exposed to it for so long, like it's really hard to be, you know, like watch bite work and stuff like that. Like new, I, when I watch new people, I guess that's what I'm more excited about is watching the amazement on new people's face when they're watching it. But for me, it's like, I've been doing this for 30 years, you know, mm -hmm. like I appreciate good work and I love watching good dogs and high level dogs working and good decoys working with dogs and stuff like that. Like I, I do appreciate it all. I know the skill, I know the pain that they suffer and everything that, that goes in between it. So I appreciate it all. But, you know, like you're just saying it's another dog biting a, a piece of equipment, you yeah. know, like there's only so many ways you can watch it. But when something comes along and you see it and you go, you know, like high level PSA three or something like that, when you can see a dog going through fucking hell and high water to get that title, you think, oh man, that's fucking impressive. Or when you see something like these high level dancing with dogs and you can see that seamless precision and you think, how the hell did you do? And I think that's it. The mystery of mm. how the hell did you do it? Yeah. You know, like that, what that's what's blowing my mind. So I've watched people online, like there's people you see in our industry in our in our part of the dog world, right? Mm. That do really spectacularly. Like they might have obedience way better than I would ever care to teach, right? Like yep. just flashier, more precise positioning and that kind of stuff. And I can look at that and while I'm very impressed by it, I'm super impressed, 
I know the path to that, right? Now, mm. I, I like to put my efforts elsewhere because I'm more about powerful behavior than such precision, blah, 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 right? Yeah. I, I see it. I appreciate it. But I, I know how to do that. And if for some reason I had to, I probably could, right? Mm. But I'll look at the dancing with dogs and I'm like, oh, no, I don't even know how to start that. <laughs> like, and I like – you know, I sort of have been rationalizing this to myself and going, okay, go back to fundamentals. You're like, you need a way to reinforce the dog. You need markers. You need, you know, cues for behaviors. But some of the really, you know, and I know how to shape. I know how to make dogs do really mm. unnatural things. Like, I know how to sort of bring that on. But the fluidity of it, like, between those behaviors is what was blowing my mind. And and I've spoken to a few people and from what I can sort of ascertain and look up, at, you know, and watching myself mm. watching it, is it kind of looks like the – the cue for the next behavior is the marker for the old behavior being correct. And so it, it, you know, and I was talking to Matthias about it, like it, I think the timing on that would have to be critical for the dog to then not, there's no downtime for the dog in the dance. Mm. The dog knows like, okay, I did that. And then I get marked and cued immediately to the next one. And because I, I feel like you could lose the dog if you, if you went too long in one position and the dog was like, okay, that's finished. And you haven't cued me into something else. It might be hard to recover the dog from there because he might not be sure whether he completed the last behavior correctly and not sure that he's then looking looking for the cue into the next behavior and their cueing is amazing. I'm obsessed with it, right? Because surely not, surely not that they put the dog through the whole routine regularly in the same way that I tell people don't do the, like if you're, if you're training for a PSA level one Mm. or you're doing one of the known scenarios for level two, say for example, in level two of PSA, there's the two-man courage test, which leads to then an attack on handler, which leads to a transport, which leads to a flea bite apprehension, right? And it's rare that you put the dog through that. You do all those components, but very few people would ever actually run that scenario regularly because the dog will start to anticipate stuff and he starts to you know, anticipate your commands and you're going to lose points because of that, mm-hmm. right? So you do all those components and once or twice the dog's going to see that picture, but the first time you want him in competition to just be listening to the commands and doing what you say rather than going, Oh, I know a two man courage test always leads to a transport and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. So that I assume in dance with dogs, it has to be the same. That well, they have to be some backward chain sequence that they're training in and out of sequence. So it perpetually feeds the dog's enthusiasm to keep working along the yeah, line. But so let me hear me out. Mm. So in the dance, it looks as though their cue for the next behavior is part of the dance because there's no obvious cueing. Like, of course, you can pick it up. So they like they put their arm. It's not up. obvious to us, though. No, that's right. Mm. But so they put their arm up, and then the dog knows. Okay, that's th- this move. Mm. But so how do they put that together? Because you, I imagine that when you're actually training this, you're not going to do the full routine. Like if you've got 15 moves that are in the dance and you could number them, how are you going to do it? One, two, three, four to 15. I imagine that you're going to have to in training go like, here's move three, mm. here's move seven, here's move five. And so that the dog doesn't know what's coming and doesn't anticipate what's coming next. But then the cueing of that is because for you in the dance, it has to look fluid. And so where is the cueing? Like, is it the start of the move or is it the end of the last move? Right? Like, so- I would suggest that they would randomize it. Well, like that you'd have to in order to keep the integrity in it. No, that's right. So they have to randomize how they do it. But then like the cue for the dog 
where does it come from, right? Like, what is it? And and mm. so what I really want to do, I would love to do this with someone. And and it, unfortunately, uh, you know, it has to be someone in Australia. Although our borders are open now, so it has to be someone that can get to us here. Yeah. What I really want to do is do a two part podcast. I want to have. I want to talk to someone. You want to do like, the interview? Yeah, I want to yep. have an interview. Mm-hmm. And then I want to set up all the ridiculous cameras that we have yep. out there. And I want a private lesson on, and I want them to dance with their dog and let's break it down and show us all this. So and we want Australia's best. Yeah. And yep. then we can make that. I know some people have tagged me with some people in Australia. I'm yet to sort of investigate those people. But if you are that person or put us in contact with this person yep. who can answer all the questions that we've got, I want to buy your time. I want to have a lesson. We'll pay more than what your time is because, you know, thousands of people will watch it. Yeah. And I want to get technical and I want to film a lesson and maybe we'll make the video portion a Patreon episode. So mm-hmm. we'll do a normal conversation like this and yep. we'll talk to the person we're talking about. And then about we'll do it. the video on Patreon. Yeah, but I want to, I want a private lesson and yep. I want to see all those cues and I want to understand that. Yep. Um, and I think that'd be awesome fun. And it's mm. like, I'm just excited because it's so far outside of my wheelhouse. I, I'm like, wow. Prepare to sell your soul, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about it. Yeah. Anyway. Nothing. So mean, put us in touch with that person. If you are that person, get in touch with us, mm. right? But yeah, if if you know that person, send them this episode. Tell them we want to do that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, because it's something that I've never ventured down. I I just know the level of integrity and obsession that it takes, and it's just something that I'm not prepared to give up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to watch the show, mate. You can see, like, it is a. It's like that thing I told you before, which I saw somebody else post on Facebook, is that Beyonce spent eighteen months for a two-hour show. Yeah, eighteen months of practice for a two-hour show. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's really all about. That's what you got to give up to be that the world's best. But kudos to the people that do it. I mean, that's fucking amazing. You know, when I watch people do videos like amazing parkour or, you know, amazing dog work or amazing motorbike work or anything like that, I'm always in awe of that person. Like, I just think, you know, man, if I only had that drive to push myself like that, mm. it's it's incredible that they've spent the last three or four years perfecting and failing and falling and hurting themselves and doing all these things just for that 5, 10, 15, 20-minute gap to be the world's best yeah. and and make, you know, like have a film session where people are all around the world looking at it and going, holy shit. Yeah, well, that's essentially the premise of this show mm. is that it, it's, it's a holy shit session. Yeah, well, mm. it's just peculiar obsessions. Okay, I'll watch it now. You got to. Yeah. You got to. Yeah. Netflix, send me a dollar or just yeah. give me a month off. Yeah. A month off my bill. Yeah. Whatever. Hey, we ask questions. Yes. All right. So yeah. enough about- uh, Enough Netflix. about cheese wheels and dancing dogs. Yeah. So one of the ones we got, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase instead of reading the whole question, is because he PM'd me and obviously didn't want to be identified. Mm-hmm. So to sort of paraphrase, this person wants to know more about reading dog body language, how mm-hmm. you can do that, where he can learn how to do that, as well as uh, sequencing behaviors together. And, and kind of the question sort of revolves around, are those two things linked? And I would say yes, they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think about reading bot- dog body language? Where can you learn that best? We start with things like that. And, and I don't want this to sound like it. I'm, I'm just flogging a dead horse over and over again because a few people have put things in the line going, oh, that's all you talk about on, on the podcast. But we start with things like that in NDTF. We start with talking about the concept of how to start doing it. But as I explained to people on that course, it's a tapas dish. It's not designed to fulfill you with any long-term absolution when you do the course. 
But what I then do is I say to people, once you do courses like this, it doesn't matter who you do a course with, as long as there is integrity with the course, that they basically say to you, now that this is the tapas dish, the main course is getting out there and mentoring with people who do know how to read dogs well. Mm. You know, like some of the people who I, and I've talked about this on, on this podcast many times and for anybody that I've talked about in other circles, some of the people that really read dog language well are people that work in kennels, mm-hmm. people that work in rescue centres. Yeah. Like they are absolute masters at reading dog body language because all day long, They're cleaning them, they're feeding them, they're taking them out, and they're taking massive risks in meeting dogs that they don't know, they've never met before, that they've got to pair with other dogs for social groups and everything like that. So doggy day, like good doggy daycare people Mm. and very good kennel workers, like senior workers in kennels and stuff like that, like these people are exceptional at knowing dog body language. Like some of the things that my girls do here that I watch them do, like some of my best staff, when I watch them match dogs, there's been times, again, it's one of these things I've said before, but when I've been skeptical about dogs meeting each other and dogs integrating with each other and the way that these girls will say, oh, no, they, I think they're going to be fine, you know, and I'll say, well, what gives you that impression? Like, educate me, teach me. What what are you seeing that I'm not? And they're saying, you're just being overcautious, which is my job to be mm-hmm. a little overcautious because I have a duty of care to everyone. Mm-hmm. So- they, they're saying your name's on the insurance paperwork. That, well, yeah, it's it, it's not. No, it's not. My name's not insurance paperwork. <laughs> but you know, I'm the GM of of the entire group of companies, so I've got to be very picky and choosy about what actually goes on. Yeah. But in, in the same token, I employ these staff, and I have to trust in their decision making. I don't like micromanaging staff. That's not what I I bring good staff on for. I like them to tell me what they're seeing, and they do. They see things that I'm having a glimpse. And just because I'm a professional, I'm, a, I'm good and great at some things, I'm not the be-all and end-all. There's other people, like my staff, who are much better at matching dogs than I am. And they'll see it and they'll tell me. They'll say, Glenn, you're not looking at the big picture of this and this. And I'll say, okay, well, match the dog. Show me. Sure enough, they'll put the dogs together because they're seeing it so often and so much that they actually know the expressions like you're talking about with the dancing dog lady, you know, like they're studying expressions and that's what my staff are doing as well. Like they're studying the integral expressions of the dog that they can see that if these dogs really don't like each other, they're picking it up in a microsecond sometimes where I'm looking at, you know, more obvious signs and signs that I'm telling people about as well. Like I've been educating people on how to match dogs for years. I mean, I'm really good at it but I'm not as good as some of my staff. Mm-hmm. My belief is some of the best people who read dogs are great doggy daycare people and great kennel workers. Yeah. So I think to that on how people can get better at reading dogs, like I just don't think that it, it's- It's not something immediate. It's something that takes time. Yeah, but it, it's not necessarily very intuitive for people to be able to read dog body language aside from the obvious, right? Mm. So the subtleties are the real differences. That's like, the hard part. It's like, those little nuances that yeah. people take time. So, I mean, you can get a scared dog mm. and show a photo or, you know, a silhouette of that to most people and they go, that's a scared dog, right? Yeah. And you can look at an aggressive dog, like barking, teeth stripped, that's right. that kind the, of stuff. The obvious. So the obvious things mm. people are kind of hardwired to understand. But the rest is kind of you have to learn from experience. Mm. And, and, and it's something I'll admit, I had a really hard time – 
that didn't come intuitively to me at all. Yeah. I really had to learn that. And it, it was in the early days when I really kind of misunderstood what I was seeing in my own dog and other dogs and had to, you know, had the realization that this dog is not what I think it is. Right. And then it sort of threw into question all the things that I knew about dog body language. And I think unfortunately there isn't a resource that I'm aware of that really teaches that in a nuanced way because there's a lot of stills, mm. right? Like there's a lot of books that you can get and go, this is that, right? And this is the facial expressions. But in real dogs showing video after video, I'm not aware of any resources like that. There, there probably is. I wonder if Roger Branty's has something like that. Roger has actually been talking online, like he's having a debate group with, you know, like it's ethologists and trainers talking together yeah, about- fascinating stuff. It really is fascinating stuff. And I encourage anybody who really does want to learn a lot about that because they actually debate live uh, on air, you know, like they'll do a Zoom call where they're talking about, you know, like they'll play a video of a mother playing with puppies and saying, well, what do you see? Mm. You know, and the group will debate it and they will come to a collective conclusion of mm. of what they've seen based on their relative experience and education over a period of time. Yeah. Talking about doing Patreon videos, I've been thinking I really should contribute more because you've been doing the lion's share of it over time. And that was something I was thinking about doing is without sounding egotistical or anything like that, like a lot of people talk to me about their experiences with dogs. And I think, well, that's cute. You know, like you're talking about knowing two or three dogs. Like I've got anywhere between 60 and, and 250 in my backyard at any one time. I'm around dogs all the time. Like I'm, I am in those kennels every single night. There's times where I think, geez, I wish I had my camera here to share that with, mm. you know, the people of the canine paradigm or even, you know, the broader community because it would have been really interesting to show that. But, you know, I'm going down there when I'm tired at night, you know, I'm walking down there to solve a problem and stuff like that. I'm not thinking about setting up a studio and it's spontaneous as well. Like yeah, yeah. sometimes you just can't be in the moment and capture all those type of things. But there are times where I thought, oh, I could have set that up or I could have filmed that and I should have filmed it. Let's not even talk about the people of this podcast. Let's just talk about my staff. There are times where I thought, oh, I really would have loved to have taken that to a staff meeting mm. and shown all the staff what actually happened there with the interaction between me and the dog mm. or me and the dogs that I just walked into a room full of mm. who have never met me before at three o'clock in the morning. Morning, yeah. You know, that's where really, where I really had to invest the positive first encounters with dogs because my early encounters with dogs weren't so positive. Mm. You know, it was grouchy Glenn getting up in the night to solve problems. And I thought, this is not working. This is not helping the situation. It's inflaming the situation and it's making the dogs more suspicious and more aroused that I'm coming. Yeah. And therefore, it, it's creating a problem, not fixing a problem. But it, it's a funny one because like the surface of things can be so, like it can be so misleading. Oh, absolutely. And, Still and waters people, run deep. Yeah. And when mm. people describe what is happening, it can really have be multifaceted. Yep. And, and take and for example- And it can be opinion based as well. Yeah. So take, for example, you go down those kennels, say there is a dog problem. There, mm. There's a, you hear a dog screaming in pain because it's got its legs stuck in something. So you go down there and you address that. Yep. And Remy's in the kennel and suddenly he starts barking, right? Mm. Now- there's a lot of why is he barking? There's all these there's all these things you could say and 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 if it's an unknown dog, say someone else, say you're away and someone else is taking over here, right? Like and, and someone's filling in for you in the middle of the night. You say there's a Malinois in there who's barking in the middle of the night because someone's gone into the kennel and they'd say, oh well, he's you know it's defensively barking. Mm. It's a guarding space. And you go, no, actually that dickhead is demanding that you come in and say hello to him. 
right? Which is what Remy does. Which is what every- he does. If he hears you go down there in the night, yep. he will bark incessantly, uh, incessantly. I told you he did that the other day, yeah. didn't I? Yeah. Until you go down there and just go, hello, Remy. And then he's like, and hello, he, And he chills. Yeah. And it's quiet. But so, like, a Malinois barking in the kennel in the middle of the night uh, because someone's come into there, that leads you to think a particular way. Mm. But actually what's happening is he's just like, Glenn, I know you're here. I right? heard you. Come I here and your say voice. hello I to me. You. Right? I demand mm. to be acknowledged mm. by you. And so, you know, the the diagnosis of that could go a particular way depending Absolutely. on how it's described. Mm. And so using that as an example, I think that we then sometimes can really badly diagnose dogs because you'll say, oh, that dog's licking his lips. He's stressed, right? So that's a really bad situation because, you know, and you might look at a video mm. and you go, oh, that dog, you know, he's really badly stressed because he's licking his lips and that's a stress signal. Okay, cool. No worries. And then you look at a, a dog competing in an IPO trial and he's long down and he licks his lips and people go, oh, that's stress, right? And we go, well, it is stress, but it's anticipation. That's right. Right? Yeah. And so th- it's a really different thing to that dog who's backed into the corner of the kennel freaking out and he licked his lips and mm. we can go, okay, that's one of the cofactors yep. that tell us, yes, that's a stress dog and that's a bad situation for that dog because he's licking his lips yep. versus the dog's just anticipating the, mm. the reinforcer that's coming because he knows that's what happens after he's long down. And so there's depth to these things that I think you can only get by exposure. Yep. And unfortunately, like I say, I think a textbook on that would answer a lot, but it would leave a lot of room for misinterpretation. It, it's martial arts by DVD. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've experienced that firsthand and I've told that experience before where I actually, when I was a kid, I was doing, back then it was VHS and I was doing martial arts on VHS. I was following it along and I thought, oh, cool, I'm good at martial arts because every day I'm doing all the exercises and I'm doing all the you know, the key eyes and everything that they're showing on there. And when I went to a martial arts school and got my ass kicked by same level white belts, I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? Mm. What I did wrong was it's never real experience. It's experience third hand instead of first hand. Yeah. Mm. So for me, and I'm no pinnacle of reading dog body language. I can see what I see, but Mm. there's, there's plenty I don't understand about dogs. But what I did learn, what I have learned is that it's, I ask a lot of questions of the owners of the dogs, especially if they're people that really know their dog. So Mm. when you're around someone who is really in tune with their dog, especially a competitor or just a really good pet person, anybody that is in tune with their own dog and you say that behavior that you can observe, his body language tells, you know, is observable Mm. and describable. And then you can ask that person, what does that mean for that dog? Right. And that's how I develop kind of a database in my head of that body language means a specific thing to the dog. Yeah. Aside from the obvious, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's obviously his hackles are up, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But the positioning, the way that he moves, that kind of stuff is that's not intuitive to me. I had to learn that. And I learned that by asking questions of the people that know and not asking questions of like the, like when you're watching someone perform with their dog or doing whatever with their dog, you and your mate standing on the sideline don't know shit about what's going on with that dog unless your mate is someone that really does know. Mm. It's asking the person and and approaching that person in a manner where they're willing to answer you because you say like, hey, I'm, I really want to know. You know, I noticed that when you turn left, your dog – whatever, like shut it around and what's that from? Oh, well, you know, I fucked up at one point and stood on the prong collar and he anticipates the, you know, like there's a million things that it could be. Yeah. But you're only going to get that answer by talking to the actual person and they can say like, here's the sequence of events that led to that and that's why that's happening. That's why that behavior is happening. And, and I think, like I say, I, I just get really 
a bit uncomfortable with these wholesale diagnoses that we see of of dogs' body language without knowing anything about the dog. I'll give you a good example of that. There was a, a clip that I had years ago, which unfortunately I've lost. I can't remember where it is, but I could probably recreate it. And I used to play this to, to students many, many years ago where I'd freeze frame a particular clip where two dogs were, you know, like their mouths were open and it looked really savage. And I'd say to people, what do you see? The interpretation was generally, I can see high level aggression. And then I'd unfreeze it and the two dogs were just playing with each other. It was just a rowdy wrestle. You know, there was no aggression in it at all. Like it was actual two dogs just having a fun, it was kind of like a sibling sparring session, but there was no, there was no pain, no real biting and stuff like that. It was just expressions. And everyone went, holy shit. You know, like I I saw something completely different. I said, yeah, but- the problem is a picture can speak a thousand words and that's what people tend to summarize in their head. Like they look at something and say, I have an interpretation on this. Mm. I don't have the facts around it. I have an interpretation on it. That yeah. can be good and bad. And it leads to debate and it leads to discussion. It leads to, you know, some critical thinking, but it also can lead you way down the wrong path as well. Yeah. And I think like a picture like that is a good starting point, Yeah, but it's, it's not enough. And that's what I mean. So sometimes I'd see- you know, certainly one of the things you'll say, look, this guy has shut this dog down, right? Mm. And, and you might see there's there's degrees of that. Yeah. So, you know, take, for example, imagine you've got a dog that has been, you know, had no discipline, no training whatsoever, mm. right? And now suddenly he realizes that he can be, he, there's consequences to his actions, positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, a dog that suddenly understands that all of his behaviors are subject to new consequences is going to be slower in his choice of behaviors, mm-hmm. right? Because he's now like, hey, in the past, I could do whatever I wanted and it didn't matter. Yep. I could I could just please myself. I could do whatever I want. And it was now, like that button example that you were talking about before with the having, you know, yeah, like slowing or, down. Yeah, your, similar yeah. to that mm. in that the dog now goes, okay, I, the first time, for example, a dog, you know, a dog that's been jumping on people forever, right? Mm. And grandma's coming over on the weekend and we've decided on Friday night that we have to get rid of this behavior because she's coming on Saturday morning, right? Yep. So you give the dog a, a prong collar correction. A lot of people might look at that dog post that and say like, oh, you've shut him down. That's a shutdown dog, right? Because the dog's slower and he's more precise in his actions and he's and it's possible we did. It's possible that you did do that. And there's people who make a living out of shutting down dogs and that's yep. not what we're talking about. But what we might say is like, no, that dog has just found out that an action that previously had only a positive consequence for him now has an uncomfortable consequence. And so he's going to be careful in his actions from here because he didn't know that was available to him, especially if he's never been corrected for anything before. He's never received a consequence Mm. like that. So now he's going to be more precise in his actions and he's going to do things in his mind. He may be totally like happy and fine, but what you can read and observe from him is he's going to start experimenting, right? Because he's like, hey, there's a new set of consequences available. So he'll be more precise and he'll do things slowly to be like, where's the threshold of consequence, right? Mm. And uh, for most people, we can look at that and go, yeah, he's just, you know, he's got a new set of consequences. He's having to deal with that. Mm. But some people would then say, oh, you've shut that dog down, right? And that would be the difference between sort of really understanding the difference between careful behavior versus Mm. scared behavior, right? And that's the sort of nuance that the owner of the dog understands versus the person that's just kind of watching it. Yeah. 
Right? Yeah, flesh in the pan opinions can be very subjective sometimes. Yeah. And mm. so, like, of course, we've seen people that shut down dogs and mm. it usually is because of the the level of the consequences way too high and, mm. and perhaps the dog didn't even make the association to the behavior. And realistically, like more often than not, I think when I see a shut down dog, I think what we're really seeing is like the turning off of the seeking system, right? Mm. So it's like, I am not going to do anything. I'm, I'm not in search of anything that could good positive consequences because the negative consequence I just got was so hefty that it's not worth find it's not worth experimenting with behavior mm. to find out if that could come again I best stay here and do absolutely nothing right? however there is a vast difference between a shutdown dog and a shutdown behavior too well that's what I'm saying right mm. so that's the that's what people like that can be hard to read. Yeah. Right. And certainly like I've seen people comment on stuff saying like, ah, oh, this trainer's a piece of shit. He shut that dog down. I go, oh, I, I don't necessarily agree with the way that he's treated that dog. Or maybe I do. Right. Like, that's a, that's a different topic, but I don't see a shutdown dog. I see a dog who's now carefully experimenting mm. with consequences. Right. And he's trying to find out like, Hey, is this really did I, was it for what I thought and where's the threshold of that, mm. right? And that's why punishment can sometimes take a few reps because the dog will experiment with the threshold of the punishment, Yep. right? So you go, you know, and to use the same example, jumping on grandma, he jumps on grandma and he gets a, a prong collar correction. Okay. So now the dog can think, was it interacting with grandma at all? Yeah. Or was it jumping on What's her? the specifics around it? Yeah. So mm. you might see a more cautious approach to grandma. Which is right? normal. But then that sometimes gets diagnosed as you've made the dog fearful of grandma, mm. right? So you go, no, the dog is experimenting with where does this consequence occur? Yeah. So he carefully approaches her and then he might like lean against her and then he goes to put one paw on and he gets his second correction and he goes, got it. Oh, that's where it is. Got it. Yep. I understand the limit. Yeah. Right. But I think sometimes in the misreading of body language, we go, oh, he's terrified of grandma. And now we start coaxing him in. Yeah. Right. And the dog goes, hang on, you fucks. You just, you have corrected me for going yeah. near her. Yep. And now you're trying to lure me in to mm. potentially make the same mistake again. And now the dog does become suspicious of us. Right. Yeah. And it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy because I thought I'd fucked up the dog. You fuck up the dog. Mm. Right. So it's a lot of, these, that's kind of the issue of using positive reinforcement where just life experiences can be enough, yep. right? Because we can somehow, like, especially, you know, we're guilty of the, I, I'm guilty of this all the time is saying, you know, dogs have positive experiences, blah, 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 right? But sometimes just a lot of natural consequences uh, or, you know, the natural experience can be plenty because the dog is experimenting with it, right? Mm. And so if he gets a big correction for doing something wrong and we go, oh, you know, we fucked him up. We got to lure him in there and make him realize grandma's not dangerous. He goes, yeah, but she is. Yep. At what threshold? I have to find that out and then I'll be so long as that threshold is consistent, mm. I'll be happy to stay below that threshold and me and grandma will get on fine. Yep. I'm not going to fucking go and kill her in her sleep so that she can't correct me like that again, <laughs> right? which is the rhetoric that you can kind of get. Mm. And that's more likely when, if we then go, oh, sorry, grandma, now you, we've made him fearful of you. I've overdone it. You have to take this food and you're going to lure him in. That's when he does go, you know what? Fuck you, grandma. I'm going to kill you in your sleep because I'm <laughs> confused about sometimes you give me food and sometimes you correct the shit out of me. Right. Yeah, like or maybe. So, yeah. Well, yeah. but then it can actually imagine he goes to take the food from her and gets up on her and then doesn't get reinforced, doesn't get corrected because we did 
so heavily last time. Now we at a variable schedule of reinforcement for doing that behavior and we likely strengthen it, right? Yeah. So well, we well a there's just problem. a vast level of confusion there as well. Like, you know, the linkage to the actual behavior that caused him to get corrected in the first place is not clear at all now. Yeah. Like there's no clear diagnosis of what it is. So that leads me to the second part of his question where you use the word clarity. Right. Mm -hmm. So the second part of his question is understanding dog behavior and can that help like reading dog behavior and can that help him when he's chaining things together and how to not rush the chain. Mm. And when you can read clarity in your dog, that is when it's time to add something new. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it's clarity in the behavior and, and making sure that there is actual strength in the actual shaped component in order to start linking the chain. Yeah. That means that you've got to have criteria and each shaped well, each of those shape criteria need to have enough strength in order to bond that chain together. And yeah. that's where people fall short when they're starting to chain behaviors together is they'll do one behavior where they develop it quite solid and then another behavior where they've got relative integrity in the behavior, but not enough to really link it together. Now they've got a weak link in the chain. Yeah. And that's the problem for people when they are chaining. And that, I mean, metaphorically, that's the same as creating a chain and calling it the weak link in the chain is because one of those links lacks the integrity to hold the strength of the entire chain together to become a solid behavior. Yeah. And mm. I think in training, that can be an issue of being overly prescript about how many repetitions and for how long. Yeah. Because I think- like that's something I try to stay really away from in my own training as well as when I'm encouraging other people to to train a particular thing. Yep. When people say, okay, but how long should I do that for? And I say, when it's ready. Yes. Right? Where the thing I think with, you know, training dogs is we're cooks, we're not bakers, right? So mm. like baking is chemistry, right? Yes. It has to go together exactly like this mm. in order for like it that. to- I like that. Yeah, I didn't make it up. I stole it from someone. Right? Okay, but, but I like so it. Baking is chemistry. Yeah. The ingredients must be correct. The cooking time must be correct. Mm. You follow the recipe and you'll get it right. Yeah. Right? Where we're cooks, we're like, oh, well, because of this, it's a bit too salty. So add to add a bit more And you salt, have to be. Right, yeah. You and have to be. Part of shaping behaviors is that you can't go in with an absolution. Like there can't be absolution about it. You can talk about absolution, but then you've got to be ready to be flexible and move either left or right when you can see things occurring. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of times where I've been doing my own personal work. I'm sure you do. And most other trainers that I do speak of the same sort of thing. And this really is, you know, like where part of the no more one more time comes in because you'll go in with a plan of how many reps you're going to do. But the dog might go, I've done it in two and you plan for five. Well, you just got to leave it at that. You just yeah. got to be prepared to walk away. Every time I do a demo with my own dogs out in the NDTF, I show people that exact same thing. You know, like I've taken a dog out before where it didn't matter if I went over to show the students what happened. Like it, it was a client dog. It didn't matter. But I went over rep to show them the flatlining behavior and the, the occurrence of what happens when you do that. And everyone got to see it in full effect. And I said, that's what happens when you do the one more time. Yeah. That's where you lose your dog and that's where you lose integrity of that shape behavior. You know, on chaining behaviors together, that's kind of one of the overlooked parts of the no more one more time, I think, mm. is that doing something, even if it's going really well, doing something for too long can overly solidify it yep. rather than so that like if you, if it's just a piece in the puzzle, I think that if you do too many reps of one thing, you can make the dog think that is the whole puzzle. Yeah. Right. And he goes like, got it. Like I've, I understand this. Um, you've, we've drilled it. Th yep. That's it. Right. And then you go, well, there's this extra step now. That's the next thing. And the dog can really struggle with that because he goes, no, we just did 10 consecutive reps of the exact same thing. You've named the behavior. I'm doing it. I'm getting reinforced. I've done the same mm. thing 10 times. This is the behavior. 
And it can be very tricky to add the next step in the behavior where you say like, no, 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 now, like now you got to push the lawnmower. And he goes, no, I've been putting my, I've been putting my hands on the lawnmower for 10 reps. And you're expecting then that the dog is going to, you know, through extinction, try a bit harder or whatever like that. But that might not be his perception of it, right? Like he might just do it for longer. You, you might be expecting the the lawnmower to move mm. and he's like, no, like oh, this behavior went extinct through duration, not intensity. Right. So he's like, I'm not going to do it any harder because I don't understand that this can be done harder. Yeah, I'm going to do it for longer. And then you're like, no, you have to do it harder. You have to push the thing. It has to move or whatever your criteria of the behavior is. And the dog goes, no, I understand duration is, is going to push uh, reinforcement, mm. not intensity, pushing reinforcement. Therefore, I'm not going to offer any more intensity. I'm only going to offer more duration. Oh, you didn't reinforce because you're expecting intensity. I give up. Right. And now the dog's like, well, fuck, what do I do? Right. Like you, uh, that behavior is gone. Mm. And then that's where we go like, you fucking do this. And you get in and you start like wailing on the dog and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Like that's not, he's understanding is not what you thought it was. Mm. And that's difficult, right? It's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. And, you know, that's one of the sucky things about forward chaining versus backward chaining as well. In getting into those perils with the dog where you kind of have this concept of, well, you fucking know it. Yeah. Well, clearly they don't. Yeah. You know, if they knew it and they knew how to succeed and they knew how to get, you know, all the way to the path to terminate for reinforcement, they go, I'll do the behavior. Yeah. You know, because this is a logical step in order to get paid. But the reason they're not doing it there's a difference between a dog being belligerent and, and a, you know, a great trainer or even a very good trainer will see that, you know, they'll just say, this is just belligerence in my dog's behavior. But there's a lot of times where people have described belligerence to me and I'll say, show me. And they'll show me the dog doing the behavior and I'll say, that's not belligerence. That is clearly just a dog that does not understand and doesn't have the integral pathways. Like it doesn't understand how to connect those chains together. Like there is no chain. There's corruption in the chain. I'm not saying dogs can't be belligerent. There's instances it's, it's where, unlikely. of course, they can. Yeah. But fucking it's, it's hell, unlikely. It, it's so uncommon. Yeah. Like they're just fulfilling their needs. Yeah. And if they knew what you're asking of them, they would do it. Right. And that's why I think diagnosing that early is very important. Like, yep. and, 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 you know, I've harped on it plenty of times and I constantly do is understanding the behavior, understanding your commands from the perspective of the dog. Mm. Right. And I think that's so important and it will save you a lot of heartache and the dog a lot of frustration by really getting into it and going like, okay, I think I've taught you to you know, go to a marker board, mm. but is that your perception of it? Because if I put this marker board behind me and say, go to it, will you do that? Because mm. what I might've taught you to do is to go to the thing that I'm staring at. Right. Yep. And so I wish that I'd filmed it because I, I did this exact experiment on something I thought my dog had gotten wrong. He was clearly doing what I was asking to do. And I thought, I'm going to change this. I think I spoke about it before. It was that I wanted to be able to send him to one marker board mm. and stop and then go to another one further away. Yeah, that's when you're doing the circle. No, 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 different it? way. Well, th- th- I used the skill of that mm. to teach the circle, but it was years ago when I was just teaching him, you know, the basics foundation kind of stuff, right? Mm. So I had them in a line. Like you can imagine a start point of being me. Yeah. You know, 20 meters away from me is a marker board and then – 50 meters away from that is another one. And what I had was the command, go to the marker board and he would go to it. And then I could say, go further. And he would go to the other one. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was fine. And I could say like, come closer and go further. And I could give that command. And from where I was standing, he totally got it. Yep. 
So then, you know, we do five or six sessions like that. And I'm a hundred percent certain my dog understands that say, if I say marker, that means go to the first one. Yep. Right. And then when I say go further, it means go to the other one. And when I say closer, it means come to the, the closer one. Yep. Seems like he knows that a hundred percent. Until you change the sequence. Until I left the marker boards exactly where they were. And I went to the other end of it. Yep. And when I sent him to the marker board, he, instead of going to the closest one, went yep. to the furthest one. And mm. when I said, and then he was at what would have been at that point in my mind called further, but that was closer. And then when I called him to come closer, he was like, I am at the marker board you have named closer, mm. right? And so my perception was, no, I meant come to the one that is closer to me. Yep. And he was like, no, 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 no. I'm doing exactly what you this have taught me. This is the position me, and right? the odor of that. Uh, that, that yeah, this board. is the one mm. that's here, yeah. right? And so then all my commands, it still had the behaviors, but mm. my commands were inverted, right? Because he had thought about it not in a uh, – relevant position from me, which is what I was expecting. He was thinking about it in the actual, this marker board in this position is called that one. And this marker board in this position is called the other. Right. And so it, I had a feeling that was the case. You so, can't dismiss the intelligence in that, can you? No. Oh, like that's quite intelligent. Totally. That, uh, that an animal perceives that. Like you have named this, that's the position and that's the odour of where this is. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And it was Man, relative. Like it. And because mm. he was like, this is the one that's near the, truth be told, like where we actually train. It's like, this is the one near the, the water station thing and that's the one near the cage, the baseball cage down there, right? So he yeah. was like, I go the, the water one or the baseball one, mm. right? And so- it, it it's relevant. And and like I say, I knew I had a feeling that was what was coming on. So I did it on purpose and then was like, aha, I've caught you and nobody's wrong and nobody's in trouble. That's where you can really fuck up a dog because you can go marker and he goes the wrong one and then you can punish him. And he's like, well, I did exactly like you would, you know, that's the sort of circumstance where people say, ah, oh, he's fucking you around, mate. He's just trying to, you know, he's intentionally doing the wrong thing. He knew it. You just did 50 reps of it going the other way, right? Mm. It all was fine. But when you look at it and go, no, if I punish him in this moment, I'm going to ruin my trust with him and not, I'm going to lose all the ground that I've made in this behavior, but I'm also going to significantly damage my relationship with the dog because he did exactly what I asked mm. from his point of view. He did exactly correct. And then I go and pressure him off of it. Like, come on, man. Like, you're going to fuck up your relationship with the dog. He's going to mistrust you. Mm. And so, and that's going to cause you problems in all your other behaviors. Not only are you going to damage this one because, you know, like you're punishing him for doing what he perceives as the right thing, but that's going to carry over into every other behavior where he's now going to be like, hey, it seems that you punished me for no reason. And, and it's unavoidable because I did exactly what I thought you wanted and I still got hammered for it. Right. So do you, do you believe that to be true or is that what you're thinking? Well, I can only think that. Uh, how, how could I measure it? That's a hard part. You know, like for a dog to carry that over into all aspects would deem it to be highly cognitive. I personally think that if you- I think if you do it on enough occasions over a, over a bit more of a broader spectrum, then you're drawing an overall comparison. But I think if you're thinking it's singular- then it would be hard for a dog to conceptualize that. Yeah, I think that That's if my you opinion. did- I don't know. I reckon it depends on how in tune you are with the dog. Like if it wasn't your dog and it just your relationship might not be damaged because you don't necessarily have one. Well, that's that's fair. Right? But I think when the dog is really in tune with you, like I would like to think my dog is, mm. and I look pretty closely at when my dog does the wrong thing, mm. I kind of have to think like he he knows what we're up to here, right? Like for him to do the wrong thing, there's got to be a good reason for that. Now, it might be a reason that's totally unacceptable to me, but he's got a reason, yeah. right? And so- 
when there's nothing obvious like that, like there's no competing motivator, you know, like if I'd sent him to go to the market board and he mm. just took off chasing a bird, I'd be like, okay, like consequence for that, right? Yep. No problem. Like yep. you, you made a choice. You knew what you meant to do. Yeah. But when he confidently carries out the behavior and goes like, this is what you wanted. And I then crank on him and say, that's not what I wanted. It's this. That's where I th- I feel like there's a lot of potential to damage relationship mm. in that space where he then becomes weary of what you he loses saying. trust in your yeah, diagnosis. Yeah, loses trust, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and I don't necessarily think that like the, the observation of that might not be in the work. It might be in your just the way that you live together, mm. right? And it might be the next time that there's a – uh, an arousing situation and you're like, hey, don't go into that, then he's like, well, fuck you. Or it might be, yeah, especially with my dogs that are around a lot of unstable dogs, I train in dog parks, right? When I say to them, don't worry, I've got this, then, and I'll take care of this. You stay in the down there and I'm going to take care of this situation for you. And he trusts me and does that. Mm. I think that the potential is that the if I'm cranking on him for doing exactly what he would ask, he's like, well, fuck you. You like- I'm not doing what you ask here mm. because there's potential for things to go wrong and you are a person who I know to get things wrong, right? So, but again, there's no way to- Yeah, you it's, it's a hard that. metric to measure because although I do believe and have had experience where I do know that dogs think deeply about things, I just don't know how deeply that is. Mm. You know, like I understand that a human would do that and they could, you know, like on a single event like we you're just talking about- a human being would be very capable of doing that and they would systematically say, well, fuck you. Mm. Whereas I think if a dog had something to draw down on on a few occasions where you did that and the dog felt you're largely inconsistent and you don't understand me and and clearly I don't understand you, you know, that way I, I find that would be very damaging. And certainly in that one behaviour, I think you could damage that if you kept pushing on that point. But across the board, I don't know because, I mean, there have been situations, you know, you can only speak for yourself and I can only speak for my own experiences when I have been stopping and pausing in time to think about things like that, where I've done things with the dog or certain behaviours have manifested and I've thought, obviously, we don't understand each other right here, Mm. right now. And one of the things that I'm really trying to work on, because a lot of people who are sages in these particular advice is is talking about stop living in the future in the past be present and live for now Mm -hmm. you know like concentrate on what you're doing and where you are right now and this is something that i've been very poor at for a large part of my life because i've been thinking about what happened in the past or what i'm going to do in the future i'm not thinking about where i am right now and you know the fact that you're talking about things like that with Remy is that you are concentrating on where you are, like you're very present in where you are and what's happening with the dog. I think things like that, when we're conceptualizing things like this, that we're actually becoming far better trainers. You know, the fact that we can think about that and talk about that and share those experiences with other people, you're actually bypassing a plateau, like you're moving to another level or two that you're actually sitting there and thinking about it and going holy shit, my dog understands this and I didn't. Yeah. You know, I think that's great. Yeah, and, and, but that's what I mean. I think that in all, you know, and especially to try and answer the but the question, the original question mm-hmm. is like chaining behaviours and how yes. you know when you're ready to take the next step, is the dog will tell you. Yeah. And yeah, and I agree. It's dictated by the dog. Yeah. And there yeah. is no there is no magic number of reps and there is no magic number of time. And people yeah. who will tell you that are drawing from their own experiences with their own with dog. limitations. Yeah. yeah and anybody that limited. says it will take this many reps is usually 
using a single case study because once you've had a couple, you realize, oh, it doesn't do that. Except for specific things when you're talking about conditioning processes, right? So like usually I would say with classical conditioning, if you don't see some sort of acquisition within 12 reps, that's where I usually say to people, you know, you might want to consider something because something's not lining up here. If you don't see some form within 12 reps, something isn't aligning correctly and the dog's not understanding it. Mm. I think that's fair. But for actually understanding your behavior and how long something will teach and how long it can take for the dog to really get it and understand it, he'll tell you because he'll show confidence in the behavior. And that that relies on being able to read the dog's body language. So when I say, you know, to tie the two together, when I tell my dog to do something Mm. and he does something else confidently, I know that something's gone wrong yep. and that's not a time I'm going to correct my dog. Mm. I'm going to, well, I am going to correct him, but I'm not going to punish him because yes. he's, he's not, um, he's not, it, he's not intentionally done the wrong thing. And and when he confidently does the wrong thing, then I go like, okay, you have a misunderstanding of what's happened here. Yep. Of course, there's exceptions to every rule. Like you might see that your dog will, you might tell your dog to do one behavior and he takes the more reinforcing behavior confidently because mm-hmm. he's like, no, fuck what you said. I'm doing this other thing because it has had a, a higher reinforcement history. So therefore I do that. Mm. And that's where you then need to be, you know, very alert and go, no, I know, you know, behavior A, you find behavior B more reinforcing mm. So you chose to do that when I gave you the command for behavior A. Now I can punish you and put you back on behavior A. But identifying that requires a certain level of skill and understanding and knowing what your dog finds reinforcing. Absolutely. That's one of the, sorry, before you start, that's one of the interesting things I think about when people talk about like differential reinforcement of of other behaviors and stuff like that. Mm. And you, you hear, especially you know, prevalent in the say force free or community where they talk about, you know, instead of punishing the dog for doing the wrong thing or providing pressure into the alternate behavior, you should just be reinforcing the behaviors that you want, right? Like rather than let the dog find no success in the behavior that you don't want to happen, Mm. but only success in doing other things. And so, you know, a classic example would be like the dog chasing a bird, right? So, you don't want him chasing birds. He, You restrict that from happening. You don't let him do that and you pay him for ignoring the bird or whatever it is, right? And that can be successful, sure. That Like eventually that will work. You know, the dog might be elderly, but it will work. <laughs> but the, the, the problem is uh, – you might want him to chase birds at a certain time. Yep. So for ex- example, with us is the bite work, right? So when I give my dog the option to guard or to bite, mm. of course he's going to bite the first few times mm. because he's like, I don't want the fucking guard the decoy. I want to bite the decoy. Yep. Of course he's going to do that. Mm. And I can't then go like, oh, well, you'll never bite again and you'll only be guarding and will only reinforce the guards because I also need him to bite, mm. right? So this idea of like differential reinforcement, reinforcement history, mm. a lot of you hear this rhetoric around reinforcement history is you just reinforce the other behavior enough and it will become the primary behavior. And you're like, that's true. I agree with you. If I limit access to the the other reinforced behavior B that's reinforcing and I only let the dog find reinforcing Mm. in behavior A, behavior A will happen and behavior B will not. Eventually that will happen, right? But what if I also need behavior B to happen? Mm. What if that is something that I fully intend to teach my dog to do? Well, you summarized it well before when you talked about the difference between correction and punishment. You know, like if you're correcting the pathway of the dog, then the dog understands like, okay, I bit and I shouldn't have. Okay, I just need to hold back from, you know, like I need to reset that pathway and understand what you're trying to relay to me that- 
in order to get the bite, I have to do the guard first. Yeah. Okay, so that's a correction. Whereas well, punish- I would call that one probably a punishment. Like that's where I would make the decision to say to the dog, you knew what to do. I'm 100% sure. But did it on the, no, on the no, first like, time? No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, no, certainly not on the first time. Mm. No, on the first when the I'm first teaching first one's a correction. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a correction. Yeah, it's a punishment point. when the dog is being belligerent. Yeah. yeah. When he says- Fuck you, I want the bite. Yeah, like yeah. you, like I, I know what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I totally agree with you. When yeah. the dog is aware of it and has become, you know, like has left a phase of learning to training. Yeah. Okay. And we talk about this openly around the world with different trainers. You know, when you're learning something- in just, you just need to be corrected. You know, yeah. you need you need your pathways changed so you understand that you know, like that pathway. There's no success in going down that way anymore. Yeah, because that sequence of events won't pay out for me. Yeah, but if I do it this way, it will. Yeah, you know. And then when the dog knows that and understands that and has comprehension of it, then you you can correct the dog for it because the dog is now aware. Like I made a choice and it was the wrong one and I can control whether that happens again. And that's really what it is about for the dog is putting the dog back in the driver's seat of being in control. Like I can prevent from being corrected again simply by not doing that behavior. Yeah. 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 It's a, you know, it's a funny one of terminology, but we'd say a correction makes the thing that you wanted to happen, happen. Mm. And a punishment is where you go like, here's the consequence for your inaction or your action, right? For your choice. Yeah. I gave you the opportunity to be reinforced over here or potentially reinforced over here. Yeah. You took the option of, fuck you, I'm going to take my own reinforcer over here. Yeah. You had solid knowledge in it and that's why. Yeah. And now- you have opened the door to punishment. And, mm. and you know, that punishment can take on a million forms. Like yeah, absolutely. It, it, Psychological, physical, whatever. Well, that could just, like, it could be as simple as, like, no, we're done. Like, yep. we're finished. Mm. And more often than not, if I'm going to put my dog in a situation, you know, what I'm picturing in my head is a retrieve in the presence of a decoy, right? Yep. So my dog's next to me and I send him out to retrieve something and he thinks, no, I'm going to bite that decoy, right? Like that's the imaginary scenario I have in my head because of course the dog that like, he's going to say, I want that decoy. I'm not going to retrieve your stupid thing. Mm. Of course he's going to go for the bite. The punishment that my dog will usually receive in that is that the bite's actually impossible because mm. I will have set him up to think he can bite, but he can't. So he receives negative punishment. And if he makes a bad decision, I go like, it's over. Yep. Like you didn't get reinforced because I made you think that your leash was long enough to reach a decoy, but it's not. Yep. And now we're done. The session's over. And yep. that would be step one. And the dog goes, shit, I made that happen. Right. Yep. And I, that is a punishment to me. The session is over. Yeah. yeah. Getting right. everything taken. And then depending on the dog's knowledge and where he's at and blah, 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 it could become a physical punishment. Like it could be like, here is the penalty and then you get the opportunity again. Like there's a million ways that that can go. That could take on so many different forms. But I just want people to understand when I say punishment, it means like I'm going to decrease the frequency and likelihood of that behavior. Mm -hmm. One way or another, I'm going to make it happen. And that that can take on so many different forms. (sighs) Just bounce all over the place there, didn't we? Mm. Haven't even answered any questions. I know. (laughs) We've answered one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Wow. We really went into that. Mm. It's an interesting topic and one that is subjective to the viewpoints of many people in different ways. Mm. I think you mentioned a point before where some people give an opinion based on their experience with a dog, but they don't know the experience of dogs, mm. you know, plural. So they know it's singular, but yeah. they don't know the actual plural application because they just they're lacking experience themselves in. And I've yeah. had conversations with people about this, and especially with, you know, like dog behavior in general, where people have given me and and I'm not talking about people who are just fly by nighters. I'm talking about people who are actually good experienced dog men and dog women. You know, like they've been around 
some dogs, but they haven't been around a lot of dogs. So yeah. their, their viewpoint is very narrow where I've spoken to other people. And usually these days, you know, like if I'm trying to learn something specific, I don't really care what their relative experience is because they're the master in doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. But if they have broad knowledge on things and I need access to that, like I'm pick, trying to pick people's brain who have been in the field for a long time and they can draw a conclusion over a vast array of experiences in behaviours. Yeah, we're all guilty of that. I am for sure because you can only work off the data points that you have. Absolutely. And so when someone says this dog is growling and you've only ever seen dogs growl resource guarding, yep. you say that dog is resource guarding, yeah. right? Because I've only ever seen that lead to that. And then when you're seeing- We all do it. Yeah. And then when I've got 10 data points and mm. they're all for different things, now I can say, okay, I need- uh, there's secondary data points. He's growling and, and are his hackles up? Is he playing? Mm. You know, like there's there's lots of different things that can open that up. And then when you've got 10,000 data points, mm. you can go like, all right, the next step is this, the next step is this, and we can get to what it's more likely going to be. But we're all guilty of it because you can only work off the data points that you have. Mm. You can only, if you've only trained 10 dogs, you've only got 10 dogs to draw on. Absolutely. Right? Hey, funny, just slightly sidestepping for a minute before we go on to next topic. Have, are you a fan of, on Instagram, McDojo Life? No. Oh, man, you've got to get on that. What is that? I got onto that from Rogan. It's about all these fake martial artists. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's like these teachers who they do all this energy, you know, like people go running at them and all of a sudden they spiral off and hit a wall and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And it just got me thinking of shitty teachers with their students and so forth yeah, yeah. and how the students are so suckered into – the power of the mind in the belief system. I just watch these poor people. I think really, are you so desperate to want to belong? And, you know, the need to connect with these people is so intrinsic that you just need to go along with this fantasy. You know, like you can see them, like they're going full on attack. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I hit an invisible chi wall or something yeah, yeah. like that. No, it's terrible. I see that in dog training as well. Like, well, you I, do. That's right. Yeah, and that's why I want to bring it up is because, you know, like you got me thinking about things like this is that I see these charlatans online and they've got people convinced that they've got this special ethereal energy. Well, there's much to unpack on that. Yes. <laughs> One of the things I think is very interesting about that mm. is that, yeah, the teachers are usually totally full of shit yeah. right? in those spaces, but the student's belief is – Usually a hundred percent because yeah. if, if you look at a body of evidence and then a, the teaching of it. So the issue is those people have fake evidence mm. and they're teaching. So let's use the, the, the chi ball guy, right? Like, yep. so, okay, harness the chi ball and it's an impenetrable force. And we've all seen that, that old guy just get wailed. Oh, the guy just cracks him right in the, yeah. so what Pat's talking about, right? There's two guys kneeling in front of each other and there's a crew of people around that's being filmed and he sits there and he suddenly, like he puts his hands together and he, he's, you know, really concentrating and he believes he's got this ball of energy that nothing- Impenetrable. It's impenetrable. And this guy who's like a kickboxer or a boxer or something like that, on the other side of him just goes, bang, bang, bang in his face. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, oh, hang on. I didn't get my chi ball right. Yeah, yeah let me just reset. Let, let me reset. You know, like I obviously wasn't getting my chakras all in line together. And I'm not mocking people who, you know, like with energy and stuff like that, because I certainly do believe that that exists. Yeah, but it ain't going to stop a fist. But it ain't going to stop face. a fist coming through <laughs> it. Like it never in life has that happened apart from movies. So he does it again. You know, like they both have a gentleman's agreement. He Just wait, you know, like I got to get my ball of energy. Yeah, take all the time you need. Take all the time. So he's sitting there and, and I'm doing this, this hand stuff. Yeah. Pat while we're in the studio, you know, and he's doing these magical hands and you can see this intense energy. Like he's gone 
boom, and the balls just appeared. And the guys, you know, they're sort of nodding to each other. Okay, I'm ready. I've got my magic wall of energy ready. The guy just goes, crack, 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 and like his face explodes, yeah. you know, and then they pull the other guy off and he's going, he, <laughs> it just ends the clip after that. Yeah. And that's distressing, the, yeah. the fact that he really, you know, like his students probably would have believed that. Well, he prob- believed it because you don't get your head punched in. like Twice. He, Twice. he genuinely thought Twice. that was how things were going to go, yeah. right? So he learned that from someone. So someone has had an experience that led them to think that was legit. Yeah. And they passed that on to other people who never faced the, you know, the realities of the situation until that poor guy's world came crumbling down. Like we laugh at that, but something I think is really important to acknowledge is like that guy's whole world just crumbled around him. Absolutely. And he got a beating at the same time. Yeah. Right. Like it would be devastating. He, God knows the psychological damage that would have happened to that dude, right? Do you know, I've looked at that clip so many times and I actually thought to myself, I bet you he walked away and just thought, it's just that guy. <laughs> it's just that guy. Like in order to be able to maintain integrity of his belief system, yeah. he's probably thought to Well, himself, I hope for his sake that is what he thought because otherwise his, his he's whole in, world would have he's collapsed. In a, yeah, he's in, right? a, he's in a world of pain. He probably would walk away from that like the dog that got corrected for jumping on grandma. Yeah. He would be like, shit, my whole world, all of my actions are suddenly subject to new consequences. Mm. Because I walk down the street with, you know, I walk down the street happily knowing that if someone attacks me, I will harness my chi ball yep. and I will say Artuken and fucking <laughs> blow their head off and I'm good to go, right? And then he just went like, oh, fuck, that's not going to work, yeah. right? I just found that out and now he's probably very polite to people and like, you know, like his whole world has radically changed. Mm. But so let me explain this in dog training, right? Sure. This is a big problem. Let me explain. Because that guy learned that from someone, Mm. right? Someone taught it to him and he thought it was going to work. Now, you can work your way up and sometimes you see people who you know, oh, you're the bullshit artist and you're passing this on, right? Because they've always got an excuse for why they can't fight that day. It's like the people when they tell me about their monster dog and I'm like, sweet, get him out. I want to see him. And it's like, oh, he's injured today. And it's like, oh, he's not the monster you've been Mm. talking about, right? So, you know those people exist. But a couple of steps down the line- that guy thinks it's real, yep. right? Now, imagine this situation. Imagine a world-level competitor in dog sports. Let's make up someone. Let's imagine you could put the skill, the fame, the capability of Bart, Ivan, and Michael Ellis, the three biggest names. Let's put those into one person, yep. right? And they're winning everything. And they're on the competition field and they're killing it. And then they run a certification and they say to people, all you have to do is – poke dog shit in your eye and you'll be as good as me. Every morning I get up, yep. <laughs> finger my dog's shit that's on the ground <laughs> and I poke it in my eye, yep. right? And you go, oh, surely you jest, sir. And, and he does it right there in front of you. Pokes his finger in the dog shit and pokes himself in the eye and says, this is how I became as good a dog trainer as I am, mm. right? Well, it's reasonable then that there's a bunch of people poking dog shit in their eye, right? And it's 
nonsense. He's just having a lend of them, right? Or he's marketing, he's pitching something. So I use an ex- a ridiculous example of that. But this is some of the stuff we see from people who are at the pinnacle of, of dog training, who mm. are really good and they lie about their methods, yep. right? And they say, no, I did that mm. via this technique. And you go, no, you fucking didn't. Like, and a, and a, and a person of equivalent skill can say, can see, no, you didn't do that. Mm. And mate, we've sat in your shed out there and watched people play videos, say, oh, this is happening in three reps. And you go, like, no, it's fucking not. Yeah. I can tell mm. that that dog is regressing. I can tell you've taught that whole behavior through to the end. Mm. And now you're showing us you teaching the behavior. And I can tell the dog is confused by the regressing progressions. Right. And they say, no. And so then it goes, if it doesn't work in three reps, people then go, well, it should be working in three reps because I watched the video of it work on that other dog in three reps because maybe I just don't have the skill set or whatever. Right. So that's the issue mm. with trainers at the top end not passing on correct information is that their students will 100% agree and fight to the death. They'll defend them, right? Saying like, no, that's how fictional dog trainer who Pat made up teaches this stuff. Mm. That's how he does it because he told me that. And look, here's the evidence. Here's his dogs. And you go, yeah, but that's not how he trained that dog, Mm. right? Inevitable cognitive dissonance. Well, but that's we're in that position with so many people, mate, because Mm. people don't want to talk about corrections and people don't – there's so many parts of the industry that are kind of dirty that no one wants to talk about publicly. Mm. So that gets left out of the conversation. When we're teaching it, we only teach, oh, you know, like this is the – like you only show the nice parts and then – they they think that's all that's real, yeah. right? And the the reality of the situation gets left out. And that's you know I've you know spoken with people who say oh you know like ex high level competitor is force free trainer, and we go like no they're not, mm. no they're fucking not. Like maybe they say they are because they don't want to deal with the the fallout. But like I can read dog behavior and I see what's going on with their dog there. Mm. Their dog has uh, an aversion to something. You yeah. can't get an aversion to something without uh, without punishment. Without punishment. Mm. So it's like. You can see without physical punishment. The second you see a dog decide, like, and you see this all the time. You see, you see it in, in an event. You see a dog look like, "Oh, I'm going to go do that," and then go like, "No, I'm not." Mm. And then the people say, "Oh, 100 pure positive training." Like, no, it's yeah, not, because yeah. your dog just showed an aversion to something. Like it, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you have to tell the truth about it because otherwise you're going to train a bunch of people that think harnessing the fucking chi ball is going to stop an MMA fighter cutting them in half. Like it's just not real. Mm. That's just not the truth, right? Man, I've had my world shattered when I've actually seen somebody who passionately quoted and didn't live by the standard of positive only and yet went behind a building to thrash their dog for showing them up in a public forum. Yeah. You know, because they thought nobody was watching. I hate that shit. Yeah. I hate that to the nth degree. Yeah. You know, that is the that really is the ultimate form of betrayal. It's like those filthy evangelists, those evangelists who, yeah, they just, you know, like they're living in in multi-billion dollar home or multi-million dollar homes and and they're kitty fiddlers. They're terrible people. You know, they're they're all of the same vein. They're just, they're preaching one method and living by a completely different standard. Yeah, and that's not to say like I'm not putting all four-story people into that, not not by a long shot, but there's people that are saying that and you see them like, you know, Especially you see this in Mondio. People say, oh, the stick is not, you know, we never, like it's the, it's the dog's favorite toy, the stick. Like it's mm. not for pressure. It, we just play. And it's like, Come fuck on. off, mate. Then what's the point of it? Yeah. Right? Like there, there was an old, you know, there was an old concept, which really used to get under my skin. 
And this was in the early days when the in Victoria, when the Domestic Feral and Nuisance Animal Act came in. And they were, you know, the sporting dogs that people were trying to say that dogs don't bite sleeves, they grip sleeves. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I remember one of the politicians came down and spoke to our group because we were doing civilian bite work. And they were saying, what do you call it? And I said, the dog's biting the sleeve. And he goes, you know what these idiots are trying to tell me? And I go, what? And he goes, that the dog grips the sleeve. And I said, it's wordplay. And he goes, they think that we're idiots. Yeah. You know, and he goes, and that was the most insulting part for us. He said, if they just worked with us and just said, yeah, look, they're biting the sleeve, but, you know, there are different methodologies in what the dogs are doing and we're creating more of a prey environment rather than a defensive one. That sort of stuff, when people do that, it really bothers me because they assume that everybody is hoodwinked by it. Mm. Yeah. So, like, I think, you know, to really clarify, because we've just been on a bit of a rant and it's, <laughs> we should- you tie know. it in. Well, but also I don't want to be the negative Nelly no. podcast, but I think that you train with whatever techniques you like. That's totally fine, but you have to be transparent in that, right? Like, yeah. and, and to say you're doing one thing and- And, and, and live by and a different standard to, entirely. To secretly do another, yeah. you create the guy that thinks the cheat ball can can stop the MMA mm. fighter cutting him in half, right? It just- you, and. And that's what happens down the line. And, yep. and in our industry, that's how a lot of dogs get like euthanized because you'd say, you know, there's all these techniques, right? There's all these different techniques. And, mm. and if you've been told this one will work, I guarantee you it will work, right? Nobody wants to euthanize a, a, a healthy animal, mm. right? But if, if I've told you this is the technique and I promise you it will work, I guarantee you, I did it on this dog right here and I yeah. promise you, but it's not what I did, right? I promise you. Then when you face the same problem and you go, okay, well, I'll use that technique and it doesn't work, yeah. then we go, that dog's unhealthy, right? There's something wrong mm. with that dog because the technique that I was told would work isn't working. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm convinced, then I'm left with no choice but to euthanize that dog because he's, he's, he's unsound. He's, mm. he's mentally unsound, right? And usually- you know, there was a post about it in our group and, and certainly we both have to do that. There, there are dogs that are mentally unsound that mm, you go like, absolutely. Hey, like none of the techniques we're going to use are going to work. It's a here. danger to the community. Yeah. And, and that's where you have to really draw the line. Yeah. And, and you would say to people like, Hey, you know, we're in an operant model here and you know, we, we can reinforce behaviors and we can punish them. But if a dog's wires across, there are dogs that are wires across. He won't interpret that as punishment. It won't, it, he won't, he doesn't know why he's doing that. So we can't counter condition something when he doesn't know what's going on here. Like he's, mm. he's crazy. Crazy, right? And those dogs exist. Absolutely. They really do exist. They exist in people as well. Yeah, totally, right? Mm. But so the issue is we acknowledge those dogs exist and, and more than likely if they're dangerous, they, they probably should be euthanized. Mm. Grant them that mercy, right? The problem is if you're only – if you're – been lied to and told this is guaranteed to fix that dog and it doesn't, you mm. have to put that dog in that category, yep. right? Whereas before I would say that, I'm going to try a bunch of different shit. I'm mm. going to try everything I can think of and I'm going to call someone else and say, hey, you got any other tricks in your bag? Because like I, none of my shit's working on this dog. I think he might might be crazy, yeah. right? And so Second that's- Second set of eyes. Yeah, but that's mm. the problem of- people passing on misinformation. It's really, it's, and, a, and it's again, a real problem in our industry. Well, again, it gets down to singular trainer versus plural trainer. Yeah. You know, somebody with a limited amount of experience, but passing it off as they're very worldly and they're very experienced in a broad spectrum when they're not, they're yeah. just not, you know, but they're very charismatic. You know, that's one of the things that I really struggle with is charisma. 
You know, people in some of this industry can be so charismatic and that's what people are getting drawn in by. Mm. They're not getting drawn in by the knowledge and the experience and the actual temper of a a skilled and qualified trainer. They're getting drawn in by marketing. Mm. You know, oh, this person is charming. So Mm. obviously they're a great dog trainer. No, they're a fucking good storyteller, Mm. you know. and and, and I feel attacked, Glenn. Are you talking about me? No, 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 I'm not. No, you're you're very far from a fraud. You're one of the most honest people no, I've ever met. I was, I was, I was saying, I was calling myself charming and a good storyteller. You are charming, <laughs> and you are a good and a good storyteller and a good storyteller. Thank you, sir. But you're also got the credibility to back it up as well. Well, a little bit. So yeah, that's my rant about that. Jeez, mm. we've gone. We, we still haven't. We. We haven't even we haven't even got. I was getting out when you started on that. I was getting <laughs> no, out my phone to find. No, the I questions. ruined your momentum by talking about McDojo life. Uh, let's Mc- do one question. One question. Okay. Hold on. I've lost it again. I got to find it here. I feel that you're cherry picking these, and you've you've had time to think about them. No, because every time I close my phone, it, it leaves, <laughs> and the actual questions have been buried because I've posted a bunch of other stuff. And we agreed before we started the show that if we ran out of time, we only wanted to answer Jack's thing early i'm trying to find it what are things so this is jack kennedy yep what are things you did with clients when first starting out that make you cringe now too much pressure on the dog too early Mm -hmm. yeah that's the thing that made me cringe is going in and thinking that one hard correction will solve it all Mm. yeah i often look at that and i own up to that like there's been people who've listened to this podcast in the past and they've contacted me separately, you know, or privately and just said to them, oh, you know, you're sounding like you're very, you're a bastion of like broad knowledge and everything that you're promoting sounds like you're an oracle. I'm an oracle in some things and I'm and in others I'm certainly not. And that's like most people I know. Everybody has their field of specialty. But there are certainly things I've called myself out on in the past. And one of those things is I was specifically that person that if everything looks like a nail, you'll you'll be bashing it with a hammer. Mm. And that's primarily how I thought all problems needed to be fixed was you just go harder. You know, like if a problem needs to be solved, you just go harder with a correction. Mm. But that's because I just didn't understand the broad spectrum of training and how the matrix of motivation works specifically. I just, But when I you just started 30 years ago, everything was really compulsion-based. Everything was compulsion-based. But I, I'm sure that well, I hope that Boyd does listen to our podcast and I, I wouldn't want him to listen to this and, and have him say, mate, you know, that's not what I taught you and the other guys back then because effectively he didn't, you know, like we were harder on dogs and compulsion was certainly was something that we were leaning more heavily against because the temper of the dogs that we were working back then, they were much stronger than, than the dogs that I'm working with now. Mm. You know, I mean, there are still strong dogs around that I'm still working with. But not like that. Like they were, consi- we cherry picked the dogs that we wanted in our center. Of course we did. Mm. You know, we were working with working dogs. All the dogs that were coming to the center were Rottweilers. And back then, you know, Rottweilers were, you know, there was a division between show and working dogs. There really was. And we were working with the working style of Rottweiler. We had working shepherds. We didn't see many males then because they weren't really populated into the country. Adrian Tyler brought the first one that I ever saw out into the country. And another guy, Mark Murray. I remember the first time I ever saw them, I didn't even know what they were. I thought they were crossbreeds. But we had Roddy, Shepherds, Pitbulls, Dobermans and stuff like that. So these are dogs that were were hardy. But still, 
the training methodology that we were using was more focused around compulsion. Mm. And when I was venturing out onto my own and going out into the public and doing private lessons with people, I was crushing dogs. You know, mm. I was the guy that was crushing dogs. So that's how you thought you're you're fixing the problems was shutting down dogs. And I really wasn't I was too egotistical and too proud to see the terror in some of the people's eyes that I was working with their dogs. Like, you know, I was doing that yank and crank style of training. Yeah, right. And I really could see like the horror and the disdain in people's eyes now when I look back on it. Like they're thinking, holy shit, you know, you've just taken my little baby and and pounded him around in the backyard. And what you think at the time you were just like, you don't understand what's going on here. Exactly. You're dismissive of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was very arrogantly fueled back then that don't question me because I know much more than you do. Mm. However, I think the trajectory of most people when they really stop to think about it, and especially as you start to age, is that you look back and I think that you develop a bit more, if you're wise, you develop a bit more integrity and compassion for others and for the world itself. Like you start looking around and you, you, you think to yourself, geez, you know, I was a jerk when I was a kid. And I was a kid when I first got into training. You know, like I was 20, 20 years old when I start, when I entered the professional realm of dog training. Mm. I was a fucking kid, mm. you know. And, I'm, and I mean, I was, I was a confused kid as well. And again, Boyd, if you're listening to this, I'm not blaming you for it. It's not your fault. It's just something that I was confused about. But I was... I think the good thing was about it was that I was open to suggestion as well. I was just singular at the time. I wasn't ready to be plural. And I think that's the thing that makes me feel cringeworthy about training, especially in the early days. Mm. You know, now I look at who I am today compared to, and please don't listen to this and make me think like I'm passing myself off as a world leader in dog training, but I'm a very experienced person and I've been around a lot and I've seen a hell of a lot and I've listened to a hell of a lot of people and I'm, I've am i been very successful in the dog training industry where now I'm running one of the largest group of companies in professional dog boarding and training and so forth. So I still have a degree of credibility behind me, but it came with a lot of life lessons as well. Mm. So I think they, you know, I'm certainly cringy about it and I wish I had my time again, but there's not a person I know who hasn't gotten older and doesn't feel that way. They wish they had their time again, that the the older head that they have now could talk to their younger self and go back in time. But it made me who I am as well. It sort of crafted who I became. Mm. It's just, I think it's fortunate for younger people that have listened to me that I've been able to share those experiences with. They can bypass those problems now. Mm. And again, quoting my old friend, Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. Mm. And certainly words to live by. It's things that every time I, th- I find myself doing or thinking something assholish, I change because I think of that quote. That quote now is the tent peg that pulls me back into line. Mm. You know, I constantly think about it when I'm, when I'm raging against something or when I think I'm going to, you know, like I can feel vengeance building up inside me. I think, dude, that's not who you are anymore. Like you mm. need to shed that skin that you you left behind a long, long time ago. Heavy answer, Glenn. Well, I'm just being honest. Yeah. You know, I think if people are asking the integrity of the truth, that's the integrity of the truth. Mm. Because I do think about that quite a lot. Like it's something, it does haunt me. It's something that I think about and it has woke me up at nights thinking about that. And I think, fuck, I wish I didn't do that. Mm. Mm. It's a part of history. And it's just a part of not understanding 
you know, when you're talking about integrity, not understanding the integrity of the greater good or the whole. Only you are part. And I'm still a student on this constantly evolving platform. What uh, about you? Well, the reason I wanted to make sure we answered this question is because I want to um, – we're usually pretty positive on the podcast, mm. but I think we went on – certainly I did, just went on a bit of a negative rant about the cheeball uh, <laughs> and people who would create that. And the thing that I cringe about when I started was I was a student of a cheeball holder. Yep. And so I started out like I – I blame so many people for not being able to fix the issues with their dogs because mm. I had such a narrow skill set and only like I was really in that force free, like this is the only way, this is how you do it. And when it didn't work, I blamed the people mm. and were like, you're doing it wrong. Like you're not, and, and probably they were, right? Yep. But, uh, you know, you're not being consistent enough or you're doing it wrong because I've read the book and the book says, if you do this, this is what will happen. And mm. then that was when I was like, it started to crumble around me. Luckily, I wasn't professionally doing that at the time. I was still just playing with as many dogs as I could and mm. getting my hands on. But I gave a lot of people really shit advice that I wouldn't dream of giving now. And and it would be it, what I told them to do then would be a component of what I would teach them to do now mm. but especially if it they came back to me and it wasn't working then i'll be like okay well you know this is this is the step after that whereas like i was really overly confident that there was no other step right and that no this will work you're mm. just not doing it correctly i've i've watched this guy's youtube video he said right yep. like it's a fact right and look at his dog it's amazing and you know he says that he had this reactivity issue and he did these steps and now it's gone and so it should work for you mm. that's why i sort of got pissed off before because i think you know i i was in that and mm. and i was basically that t-ball holder that got his head punched in by the by the actual fighter because it's like i then you know i face a reality of my own dog being fucking dangerous yeah and trying all these different things that I was tried, you know, was coached into doing and it not working. And then in a week, <laughs> once we started playing with some other things, the dog's like, oh yeah, got mm. it. I won't do that again. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> right? mm. Like everything that I had been taught, it's not real. And lucky I found that out and then was willing to change before it was way too ingrained in me. Right. So yeah, that's what makes me cringe. I think about people who I gave bad advice to that I blame them when it didn't work, when it was never going to work. Mm. It was never going to fucking pan out doing that. You got like imagine you got a kelpie that's been chasing bikes for five years, and you think you're going to fix that using mm. like oh, just reward him when he's not chasing bikes. <laughs> that's not going to happen. You know, something you're talking about the cheapo holder going back to that whole paradigm in itself is that I really reject the notion of people trying to make disciples out of other people. Like I, it really sickens me when I see people trying desperately to do that mm. and having their students so sewn up that they're afraid to ask questions of their teacher anymore. There's been incidents where I've seen, and you know, like I can think of things in the US where I've seen people tied in with, with other trainers that they're not asking, why are you doing that? Mm. They're just so... Well, and if you if anybody does ask, it's because they're they're rude and they're... Like, or they're going to sue them or yeah. something like that, you know? Yeah. And I think to myself, you don't really care about dog training, do you? 
like you really don't care about it. it. It seems like the money is more important or the status is more important. You know, like I invite the guys where I'm teaching, they ask me questions all the time. And if I've get if I've got something that they believe is wrong, we talk about it. We openly and I mean, there's been things where I've talked about where I haven't been right. And students have pulled me up and I've gone, holy shit, they're right. And I own up to it. Mm. Whereas before I would probably feel, oh shit, I can't be wrong. I'm the teacher. You know, and I've tried to reject the notions of trying to make people disciples. I did it earlier on. I thought that's what I needed in life. I need the, you know, in order to feel whole, I need to collect people who follow me around and become my yes people. But I don't want that anymore. You know, like I want people to be empowered themselves. I want to be the guy that teaches people how to fish, not strings them along with a fish. Yeah. You know, that's the legacy that I want to leave behind. And I know you do as well. Yeah. You know? And I really appreciate that. I think that one thing's really important to understand, certainly in, in knowledge in general, is that, but, you know, in any industry, so certainly in ours, is that it's a relay race. Like yes, you have to pass the baton on. Yeah, like absolutely. You, if, you've only got limited time. Well, when we're all building on the collective knowledge of others, right? Yeah, so, yeah. like, why force someone to try and figure this shit out for himself? Like, the idea is that his start point should be your end point, right? Yeah. Like, you've got it all. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about, like, the very good presenters. Like, Forrest is fantastic at this. He'll be saying, like, this is a concept that yeah. comes from whoever, and he'll tell you the book. And, like, you know, in the back of my notebook that I use at, at events, I have this big list of books that people will talk about. Yeah. Write them down. It's, and then like, he, it's like an author. They actually give credit to, yeah, that's you right. know, the people that they, they've sourced their material from. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, he will do things where he'll say, like, you know, this is from whoever. And if you want to learn more about that, go to them. And mm. with a few things that I've seen Forrest teach, he'll say, yeah, I learned this from whoever, go to them if you want to learn more. And I go to them to learn more and I go, oh, actually you were better at it. Right. Yeah. Like, but he still credit them. And then even Bart does that. Like I've, you know, the amount of things that I've learned mm. and in his process, it's not like you have to scratch at it and get like, Hey, where did you, how did you come up with this? Where did it come from? Part of the delivery is, I was at a thing yep. and I learned this from a guy. I saw mm. someone do this and that's how I, I've adapted it. And it's like, I feel like that for me really, as soon as someone presents like that, I'm like, oh, good. Mm. I, I really, that's how I want to learn. I try to teach in the same way. This is who I learned from, right? And this is how this is so I can, and it's not about crediting the person. It's about kind of just showing like, this is, it's okay. I had to learn this somewhere and now I have it and I'm passing it to you. So it's okay for you to do the same thing. Mm. Like you need to be going forward like that. It's when people are like, no, no mentors. No, I developed this myself. I'm hundred percent. It's all me. No, like I'm, I was born with this knowledge Yeah, and it's like, mm. yeah, Moses, uh, you know, I, I went up on top of a mountain and a burning bush just spoke to me and you know, yeah. that's where I got it from. But yeah. So, but, but now I don't even want to credit the burning bush. I just, yeah. I, well, see, I have these stone tablets that were given <laughs> to me by God. And unless you're holding the magic rock, you can't read what's on the tablet. So mm. I had the magic rock. I've, lo I've since lost it. I was holding it when I read what was on the tablets and that's how I got my dog training knowledge, but I've since lost it. So no one else will be able to hold it and you'll have to come to me in order to, <laughs> for me to pass on that knowledge to you. There, there's an old, I think it's from a Mel Brooks show, the history of the world part one, yeah. where he walks out and he goes, my friends, my friends, I have these 15 commandments and he's got three stone tablets and he drops one and breaks <laughs> one. He goes, 10, <laughs> 10, 10, 10 commandments. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good times. Uh, yep. All right. I'm wrapping it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hey, if you still remember, if you're still listening, I want to talk to that Dancing with Dogs person in Australia, mm. but not to be rude or arrogant, but a really, really good one. 
We want the top end. Yeah, yeah. Per- somebody who's a leader in their field. Yes. You know, if there's several of them, like point them out and yeah. then we can we can decide the person yeah. that would be easiest for us to talk to. If you're that person and you're willing, I really want to get someone in here to talk to And you're comfortable public speaking, like, yeah. you know, being filmed and, and talking on a podcast. Because some people can, you know, sorry to cut in, but some people can be really good at being a trainer. Like they, their practical knowledge is exceptional, but sitting them down and having a conversation with them, some people choke on that. Yeah. And that, that's not shaming the person. It's just some people's skill set is in showing some people's is in explaining and some people have a combination of both. Yeah. So really what we're looking for is somebody that can be, that can hold both of those. Yeah. So I know there's people all over the world that are good at it, but somebody who can come to us in Sydney yep. and I want to buy a day of your time. Mm. Uh, I want to do an interview and then I want to do like a, a videoed kind of private lesson demonstrating these sequences and stuff that I'm curious I'll about. I'll video it. You do the lesson. Yeah. And that'll yep. be a Patreon episode mm. when we can get that. So yep. we're not expecting someone to do that for us for free. We're going to pay for your time. I want that. Yep. I'm excited about it. Mm. Right. And thank you, Patreon people, for affording us that ability to be able to do that. Yeah, I think that's a cool thing that we can provide to them, yeah. right? I think yeah. it's pretty interesting. And that, I, re- I want to get really back technical. to Patreon people for putting us in a position to be able to do that. And the lesson is not like I'm not going to expect to leave with a dog that can dance. In fact, if my dog never comes out, I'm, I'm totally no. Fine but with it's that. acquiring but I, the knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I want it to be a lesson for like everybody. How did you do it? And how does it? How yeah. does it all tie? How's in? It tie? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. All right, that's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Mm. Tell us about what you like about Chi Balls. If you, uh, <laughs> Have you ever punched through one before? <laughs> if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. As we just said, got some exciting stuff going to go into mm. there at some point. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode in there. You can There's various tiers. You can give different amounts. The other thing you could do is jump on a Teespring, get yourself some wall tapestries that when you- some fanny packs. Yeah. When your parents come over. Dylan Anderson, you legend. What a legend. That was incredible. Like I laughed for a solid 10 minutes when I saw that because he sent me a private message and said, do you think this is too racy? I said, mate, you fucking got to do it. Yeah. I laughed so hard. Like it took me time to be able to respond to him because I just kept looking at it and laughing. I did a slow, (laughs) oh- my, My God, God, this has happened. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well done. <laughs> Definitely. But no, no, the problem is he blew everyone else out of the water. Yeah, no, nobody, no, one can, no one can beat him. Nobody. Well, they can try yeah. and they should, but nobody's even tried. People are just like, oh, no, that's it. That's yeah. over. Yeah. He's won it. You won the internet for 2020. Have a crack. Someone else. Yeah. Someone, someone that maybe looks a bit better. <laughs> Nothing but a fanny pack. We should do a calendar. Hey, did you see the one that I put up? I made a meme where I said the way dog trainers look at you and yeah, yeah. When you take they know you take your dog to the dog park. Yeah. It's been shared like 120 times or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's got like something, it's reached something like 35,000 people or something like yeah. that. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Especially since I go to the dog park every day. Yeah. I was there this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Not I've got me. no choice, mate. I've got my city. own dog park. Yeah, I live in the city. Yeah, I've got my own dog park in my backyard. All right. So, yeah, get yourself a wall tapestry from Teespring. So, when mm. people come over to your home, they're like, the fuck is that? And you or know, a oh. fanny pack. Be like Dylan Anderson. Amaze yep. your friends and neighbours and yep. family. Uh, Especially at a Christmas party. That would really go down well. The work Christmas party. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Uh, if you want dog training advice or anything, post in the group. Group mm-hmm. source some information there. If you have personal questions or feedback, uh, shoot it to us individually or you can shoot us an email. We are info at com. That's it. Goodbye.